Thank you, Bella. Appreciate it as always. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Soccer Specialist Podcast. And today we're going to talk about two of the most important, if not the two most important movements that you can do as a young athlete, as a soccer player, both in terms of injury prevention and also improved athletic performance. But first, I want to hit a few quick shout outs. I think this is kind of important. Um, Lena Miller, who I've been helping and get ready for her first uh, season of college soccer, which unfortunately won't be this fall. It will hopefully be in the spring. Uh, She's been training with another younger player. Uh, The the parents have kind of connected via the uh, soccer specialist Facebook group. And Lena has been training with her through Zoom, which I think has been really cool. I think both of them have enjoyed it. And it's just kind of one of the side benefits of the Facebook group. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to those Facebook moms for getting that together. And also um, Chris Harris, whose daughter's done Dominate Game Day a number of times. Her and she roped in some teammates. And I believe one of the teammates' younger sister, I think it was five or six of them in total, they just completed um, Dominate Game Day together as a group. They went through the whole four weeks, which is awesome, fantastic. They're going to be ready for their fall season, which starts shortly. If you do not have it, please go grab a copy. Just search Dominate Game Day on Amazon. It's available on Kindle and on paperback. Two quick quick ones. Uh, Emily, one of the players that plays for me, the number may be higher now. I'm not sure. Um, I think she's dealing with a little tendonitis right now so we might have to come back but i appreciate her enthusiasm and dedication uh up to a couple of weeks ago when we had this conversation she had been running for 41 straight days yeah she's a bit crazy okay i get it we can tweak that a bit to uh improve the quality of the training and get it geared up more specifically for soccer but it's awesome and and that i love to see that type of uh dedication and commitment and finally one last one before we get started Uh, One of my players tore her ACL towards the end of her high school season last October, and I just got a message from her that she is officially cleared back to full contact. Okay, so so I know she's excited. I'm a little worried about her teammates now tomorrow night when she gets back out on the field and, and can play without restrictions, but it's awesome. As most of you know, what a long, long road that is to actually get yourself back on the on the pitch uh speaking of lena whom i just mentioned a minute or two ago she went through that also i know she uh, she appreciates what that takes as, as well as her mom and finally a shout out to all of you listening because i can't do this without you the the podcast grows because you spread the word and and you talk about it with other people and get them to listen so thank you for that and finally we're actually going to get to the topic look injuries as i just kind of talked about them it's one of the reasons I want to do the shot, the shout out is, you know, they're terrible. We get it. They may be a parent and a player's worst nightmare in any sport. Uh, they not only take a physical toll in terms of lost playing time, they can take a huge mental toll as well in terms of confidence and frustration and things like that. Uh, especially the more severe injuries like a torn ACL, the, the mental aspect can be an even bigger hurdle than the physical injury once they get back out on the pitch they start thinking about it. Maybe they can't do what they could do before the injury, at least initially, right? It takes time. Even once you're back, you're not fully back, okay? No parent wants to see a player on the sideline for an extended period who wants to play but can't because of an injury. Or they're back, but they're struggling with their confidence now, so they're not playing the way they used to. Or they're simply behind 
developmentally speaking, because of all the time off, which also can then have a detrimental effect on your confidence as a player. And it kind of begins a downward spiral. You're not playing the way you want. You lose a little confidence, then you don't play as well, and it just kind of keeps going if you don't do something to turn it around, whether it's talking to your coach, your parent, uh, sports psychologist, listening to this podcast. That'll do it, too. Uh, Look, sometimes injuries happen. You can't prevent them completely. You can't prevent all of them. That being said, there definitely is good news in terms of things you can do to reduce the chances of getting hurt, which means more playing time, playing the game you love, right? I've said it to, to... uh, my players many times, athletic careers, they're short. Uh, you want to spend as much time as you can playing the game, not watching from the sideline or going to physical therapy and doing rehab. And there's no fun in that. You want to be out there playing. You want the reward for all the hard work that you put in. And it really seems, uh, anecdotally speaking, I really haven't dug into the numbers, but there's a, been a huge rise in non-contact injuries in pretty much all of sports, including soccer. And sure, while some of these non-contact injuries, they can just happen, so to speak, as I mentioned above, I believe many of them come from overtraining and some from biomechanical issues in terms of movement mechanics and from overuse, which is really just a popular way of saying overtraining when talking about youth sports. Now, in that overtraining, I also believe it's poor training. I think some of the the program designs out there. Look, there are a lot of athletes. I don't think there are enough good coaches in terms of designing programs for them in order to make them really, really effective. I think you get, because of poor program design, you get not just overtraining, but you get imbalances in muscles, such as the the, the abs to the lower back, the quadriceps to the hamstrings and so forth. And when that happens, it just it's an injury waiting to happen. Okay, so they can happen for many other reasons as well. But these are definitely the areas where we have some control and we can possibly reduce the chance of injuries so that you stay healthy and stay on the pitch and keep playing the game you love. Because as I sort of just alluded to, the training you soccer players go through is really haphazard at best. It's kind of pull a little from here, grab this off YouTube, do this from this person. And as I mentioned, there just aren't enough qualified coaches, both sports coaches, specific sports coaches, and strength and conditioning coaches to teach proper training, to put a proper program, design a proper program for a player to help them improve performance and prevent injury. And it includes a recovery component as well, which I've, I've talked to uh, uh, talked about before and we'll get into in another podcast in more detail. Quick shout out to all the good coaches out there making a difference in terms of um, training and programs for your players. I, I know there are a lot, a lot, a lot of hardworking coaches out there that are making a difference. And look, because lack of, going back to recovery, a lack of proper recovery time leads to overtraining, okay? And in many areas of America, I, I use this as an example. I know some of the people who know me well are going to hear me um, mention high school and, and throw a hissy fit, but that's okay. I don't mean to pick on high school. This is just something I know specifically in this area. High school soccer is six days a week, two to four games a week, practice sessions on all the other days that drag out for two plus hours, teams that are playing 17 to 25 games in seven or eight weeks. And soccer just isn't that kind of sport. It can be a grind. And as the season moves along, you know, they get into a bit of an overtrained state and the chance of injury goes up because bodies can't recover from the stresses of the season. Eventually, if you're not going to stop and get that recovery, your body says, well, I'm just going to have to hurt you in order to get you to stop playing so we can recover. 
And there are studies that have connected soccer injuries with game frequencies um, that, that kind of have uh, shown that there is a correlation between the two. And look, club soccer isn't exactly innocent when it comes to, to injuries either. That being said, it's not necessarily overtraining or overuse. I, I think it also could be a part of the whole, it, everything is in season now, right? There's, they leave no time for athletes to go through a properly designed training program to get their body stronger, to become more athletic, to get them more resistant to injury so that they're ready to go. But you can't have proper off-season training to help reduce injuries, to help improve performance if there is no off-season in the first place. And as all of you listening or most of you listening know, there really isn't an off-season injury anymore, right? So look, injury prevention, including overuse injuries, includes proper nutrition, recovery, movement mechanics, strength training. And one thing I've noticed in my time coaching and training athletes is they really don't know how to move properly. It's, it's true that proper mechanics aren't natural for everyone. And like everything else, it can definitely be a learned skill. You can improve mechanics and help prevent injury that way, but, and also improve performance. But I have been amazed at how few athletes can perform certain movements. And look, I haven't done a study, but my best guess is that kids don't play anymore the way they used to, right? They're not out there playing games uh, like tag or, or dodgeball or monkey in the middle or, or jailbreak or whatever other game you can mention. Instead, they're tapping on their phones, right? They're not out climbing trees, riding bikes. They're tapping on their phones. So soccer players, even those athletes, they only get movement at soccer practice. And I remember one time a few years ago, the team, we were, we were going out over the summer to, to train when they had a bit of a, a break, a, a younger team. We wanted to actually do a little conditioning, take the time in the summer and do a little bit of conditioning because I don't like to do that during practice with the young teams when I, it's so important they get touches on the ball and you only have them twice a week. So we did do some soccer, but we also did a little conditioning. We did some body weight stuff to kind of expose them to it. And it was really amazing to me to see how few players could perform something like a proper body weight squat or do a bear crawl or a lunge or even a plank. And these are the athletes of their age. I, I can only imagine the train rank of sedentary kids who don't do anything trying to, <laughs> trying to do this stuff. Um, you know, simple body weight squats had kids falling backwards, knees collapsing inward, rounded backs. You name it, if it was wrong, they were doing it. But you can't perform a sport like soccer at a high level if you can't move properly. And look, you're an injury waiting to happen in that respect as well. And as I've mentioned in the private Facebook group, which if you haven't joined, go do so. The soccer specialist, look that up. You should be able to find it on Facebook. Right now, I wanted to focus on two specific movements that can help with overuse injuries, but also improve athletic performance. These are two of my favorite movement patterns for athletes. Okay, what, again, injury prevention and overall athleticism. Uh, more on these in, in a second. But look, if you want to become a stronger, faster, quicker, more explosive, more powerful soccer player, you need to be training these movement patterns. Okay, they should be in any athlete's toolbox. Okay, number one is the hip hinge. The second movement is the squat. An athlete must be able to perform these movements. Not only must they be able to perform them, they got to train them and train them properly. Okay, and look, there's a third one I would add to these two if you want to call a big three. Call this bonus info for you would be the lunge, and we'll talk about that at, at another time. But 
Okay, let's get into the hip hinge a bit. The hips are involved in everything you do, okay? It's the one muscle that connects the upper and lower body. If our hips are not right, we can't function properly, we don't move properly, we end up getting injuries in other body parts that are really because of issues with our hips. So our hips have an impact on pretty much everything else the, bother, the, bottom, the, the body does. Whether you want to sit, stand, sprint, uh, jump, stop, change direction, twist, bend, whatever. Your hips play a key role in how you perform those activities, how you move during those activities. And the hips are going to help determine whether or not you're an injury waiting to happen. Okay, to even protect the spine. The hips are the source of everything an athlete does, including your power, your ability to move properly. If you want to be a great athlete, you better not have weak or tight hips. I, mean, I don't want to get too deep into all this, but the hip region is home to four muscle groups, including the abductors and the adductors. Okay, that's the one you see worked on a silly exercise machine in the gym. You know the one I'm talking about. Okay, these muscles are responsible for all the different ways your hips move. And so learning to hip hinge properly and training the hip flexors is crucial. Again, I'm gonna, I've said it probably 10 times already, for injury prevention and athletic performance. Okay, next is a squat, of course. Squatting is a, a hugely important movement, and it's concerning how few young athletes can squat correctly, but they must learn to do so. And so here's a great exercise you can do to help perfect squat technique. Uh, it's known as the Chinese wall squat. It's simply a bodyweight squat done to correct and learn proper squatting form. It's not really a workout, but you stand, say, a few inches from a wall, feet forward, shoulder width apart. You're facing the wall squat to max depth right this isn't a, a high squat this is below parallel squat low without touching the wall this forces proper squat form you're going to do it slowly to start it's okay to stand a little further away from the wall when first starting try six or eight inches but you want to be able to move closer over time until you're only a couple inches away from the wall and anyone who's squatting with weight should be able to do this if you can't do this you need to work on it before you start squatting with weights okay again move back a little bit if you need to but you must be able to perform this is really 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 important and modern society has done a number on everyone with regards to proper movement patterns so it's crucial that we sit too much so let me just say that it's crucial that athletes have both a base of strength and the ability to move correctly so because your keys to improving overall athleticism strength proper mechanics and the hip hinge and the squat are indispensable movements. You must master them. You must strengthen them. My two personal favorite exercises for these patterns are the goblet squat using a kettlebell or dumbbell and the kettlebell swing. You can also use a dumbbell for this. And one of the reasons I picked the, the goblet squat, I think it helps um, especially younger athletes much better with their squatting form than a, a bar on the back. And it also helps with the hips when you do it properly. You get the elbows tucked in between the knees as you squat down. Keep in mind there are a lot of squat variations and there are some really good single leg squats that so soccer players must do. Um, single leg work obviously is a much, has a much higher correlation toward the sport itself, but you need to be able to nail your form on the goblet squat and the body weight squat first. Uh, you can see video of both of these exercises as well as most of this in writing. I, I don't know that I have 
adhere to it exactly, but go to the soccerspecialist.com slash two movements. It's the number two. Don't spell it out. The soccerspecialist.com slash two movements. Okay. And the body weight squat and goblet squat after doing the, the wall squat are the best places to, to start. And look, there are also some other hip hinge exercises, a number of them that are very good. But for me, the kettlebell swing is the foundational hip hinge movement in terms of learning how to do it properly. And the kettlebell swing provides a jump-like loading of the hips. And while not exactly that of sprint mechanics, it is definitely close enough to provide a lot of carryover. When you do a kettlebell swing properly, it also provides something a lot of other hip hinge exercises don't do at the end of each swing, and that is a powerful hip extension forward, okay? If you, if you, and you'll see in the video, when you end the um, kettlebell swing, when the kettlebell is out in front of you, when you've come up from the motion before you start the, the downswing again, you're actually going to powerfully extend your hips forward. And a lot of other hip hinge exercises don't get that. So it improves both technique and power in numerous athletic movements. And according to Pavel and e Easy Strength, the swing is highly adaptable to the metabolic needs of power athletes, team sport athletes, track athletes, and athletes from contact sports. As Dan Long has colorfully put it, the swing is a fat-burning athlete builder. Okay, so squat and swing, swing and squat. You become a better athlete, become a better soccer player, hopefully a healthier one too. And that is it for now on these two movements that you must be doing. Um, coming down the pipe, we'll talk more about the physical game. We'll also get into some more mental stuff, some tips for parents and players. Obviously, all the great stuff you've been listening to already. If you have questions, go to thesoccerspecialist.com slash contact. Definitely check out Gom Dominate Game Day on Amazon and Kindle and Paperback if you have not done so. If you want to learn more about working with me one-on-one, -on -one, Go to thesoccerspecialist.com slash one, the number one. Don't spell it out. Okay, if you haven't grabbed your 30-day ball control plan that is free, go to thesoccerspecialist.com. And I think that is it for now. You're better than you think you are. You can do more than you think you can. You always could. Stay strong in the struggle. And remember, always practice like you are trying to make the team. And I will talk to you later.